Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. It's that time again, dear listener, time to check back in with the Celtic Oem Tree Calendar. If you've been keeping track, you'll know that we are in the fifth month, or moon, of this ancient way of tracking the date. If you're new to the show and you haven't listened to any other Oem Tree episodes, here's a little background. Or a refresher for those who have listened but may have forgotten. Actually, I don't think I've gone into this much detail about the Oem calendar previously, so this history may be long overdue. A long, long time ago, we're talking 3rd or 4th century BCE, the Celtic people who lived across the British Isles and are most often associated with Ireland, I think, had their own alphabet called Oem Letters. Experts in linguistics suggest this alphabet isn't entirely Irish or Celtic in origin for certain reasons, but we do know that it was used by them, and also that the letters of this alphabet are named after trees. For example, the Celtic word for ash is neon, and that's the name of their approximate letter N. We know the Celtic people to have so strongly associated the natural world with their religious beliefs that it pervaded much of their culture as a whole, like their written language. This brings us to the Oem calendar, their organization of the year into sections that we typically call months. They called these sections moons, since the 13 divisions they made were tied to the lunar cycles. These 13 months or moons consisted of 28 days each with a bonus holiday somewhere in there, and each moon is named after one of the Oem tree letters. They've named the moons in such a way that the trees they use as names represent that month with the symbolism their beliefs have plugged into them. Considering this podcast is about how tree species have influenced and shaped human culture, it would be foolish of me to not talk about each tree month as it passes. All that exposition out of the way, let's get back to month 5 of the Oem tree calendar. This month is the Willow Moon. It lasts from April 15th to May 12th and is referred to in Celtic as Scytha, which I'm not really sure about that pronunciation. You might be wondering what willow species I'm covering today. Maybe whatever willow is most common in the British Isles? Maybe the Weeping Willow, that one's certainly very popular, very well known. You may be surprised to learn, though, that there are actually 400 species of willow across the Northern Hemisphere. And while the willow has certainly touched many cultures, these cultures are often not specific about what willow species they attribute their symbolism to, because there are so many. So I'm going to try and cover the willow group as a whole. I'll have to be very general in the biology side, but the cultural enrichment of the willow is incredibly abundant. Across various cultures, we see the willow representing femininity, magic, which is a Celtic staple, and grief, as well as emotional expression in general. And because of that last theme, admittedly, this episode does get kind of sad. But let's talk about where all of these ideas are coming from. Like I said, we've got 400 species to cover, so let's get going! I'm not actually going to cover all of them, but I did, just for the barest of moments, consider writing a song to just list the species a la the Animaniacs Nations of the World song. I know a lot of you would have loved that, but I simply do not have the time. The Willow Group, though, is actually a fairly diverse genus, which is to be expected with that many species, 
but you of course have willow trees, and there are some that form more as shrubs. There are even some willow species that are tundra plants, like way up north, you have those little scrubby green patches in those remote frost-covered landscapes. Some of those are willows! But despite their variations, there are some general descriptors that we can apply to willows as a whole. They are broadleaf plants, in other words not needle trees, and are mostly deciduous, with there being the usual exceptions for species growing closer to the tropics. Willows love water. Most willow species will grow near sources of water or even right in it for those native to swampy areas. Because of their affinity for water, they are very fast-growing plants. I mentioned this trait in the alder episode, that plants that can live amongst water without drowning will absolutely make use of it. The leaves of the trees and shrubs are fairly similar in form and identifiable at least for the group. They tend to be long and narrow, in my eyes like a really big blade of grass. The leaves may have serrated edges, but they may also not, so that's going to be less of a thing. Various individual species tend to have their own minor characteristic to set them apart. For example, the white willow, which is a common tree across Europe, has white undersides to the leaves, which is something you usually won't see in other willow species. Willows as a whole are dioecious. This means that individuals will only have either male or female reproductive parts, as they are referred to. You'll see the males have the flowers that produce pollen, that by wind or active pollinators are brought to trees with female flowers, which will become fruit. These flowers don't look too different. They're called catkins. I've mentioned that a few times before. Catkins are a dangly cluster of tiny flowers that I think look like fuzzy caterpillars. But the Narragansett people, who are native to the New England region of the United States, think that they look like something else. You see, a long time ago, rabbits looked very different. They had long tails and long straight arms and legs. One day, a rabbit was playing in the woods and noticed that the willow had just put off new shoots. It was growing new branches and new leaves. And that made the rabbit oh so hungry because new shoots are quite the tasty snack. But rabbits don't climb very well, and they couldn't reach the top of the tree, so they resigned to staying on the ground and playing in the grass. But while Rabbit was playing, they thought about how much more fun it would be if they were playing in the snow instead. So they yelled out, and they wished and wished so hard for it to snow. And you know what? It started to snow. And the rabbit was so happy to play in the snow, but now they were mad with power. And they kept wishing and wishing, more snow, more snow! And it snowed more and more until there was enough snow to push the rabbit up to the top of the willow tree, and they could finally eat those tasty green shoots. This was probably the best day of this rabbit's life. But once they had their fill, they realized their home was covered in snow, and they would just have to sleep in the tree that night. So the rabbit slept, and the next morning, the sun came out, and melted all that snow. That's a lot of snow to melt. And when the rabbit woke up, they found themselves high up in a willow tree with no way down. So they clung to the branches and looked and looked for a way down. But they leaned too far forward and started to fall. But their tail had gotten caught in the branches and just snapped right off. Down the rabbit fell, and when they landed, their arms and legs got smushed in. So now Rabbit was left with just a little nubbin for a tail and short little leggies. 
and every spring when we see the catkins hanging from the branches of the willow, we are reminded of the rabbit who lost their tail, and remember to be careful what we wish for. Look at that, a story in the science section. Y'all are spoiled. But once the rabbit tail flowers are pollinated, they will turn into willow fruits, which are these papery little capsules that release cotton-like seeds. They're very similar to cottonwoods or aspens, which makes sense because those two trees are in the willow family. And there are even more similarities between the willows and their cousins, one of them being in the roots. I explained way back in the Aspen episode how the roots of those trees will grow laterally just under the surface of the ground and can potentially sprout new stems in that process. Massive clonal colonies, as they're called, form that way. Willows can do the same thing. They're called having stoloniferous roots, but you won't see them be so aggressive with that form of reproduction. One of the primary causes of that kind of re-sprouting is fire activity, and like I said, willows prefer wetter habitats and they won't see fire as often. One characteristic that's unique to willows and not in other willow family members is their bark sap. The resin that leaks from willow bark contains a compound that scientists call salicylic acid. Salicylic acid has incredible anti-inflammatory properties and is a very common component of various medicines. Aspirin originally used salicylic acid derived from willow bark until scientists learned how to manufacture it synthetically. Another use for this acid that I am all too familiar with is with acne treatment medicine. Salicylic acid's anti-inflammatory properties are particularly good at cleaning acne-producing pores and reducing the swelling of those pubescent face bombs. So I'll take this moment to think back on those little wet pads that burned my skin and thank the willow tree for making me less physically awkward. The name salicylic acid actually comes from the willow's scientific name, which is salix. In fact, the whole willow family is called salicaceae. The name salix is interesting. We don't know a whole lot about how the name was derived, but there are some theories. Back in the 1970s, there was a Soviet botanist who claimed that it came from two Celtic words that together mean near water, which would make sense. But there's like no other sources for that, and it just seems a little too convenient, doesn't it? Now, I'm no linguistics expert, but Salix does kind of sound like the Celtic word for the tree, Sila, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's spelled S-A-I-L-L-E. There's got to be some similarities. There could also be some Latin involved. We just don't really know, and everything that I'm coming up with is just conjecture. Some of the more common willow species actually have good pairings of common name and scientific name, which is not always the case. The more common willow tree in Europe is called the white willow, and in Latin is Salix alba, alba being Latin for white. The more common willow tree in North America is the black willow, and in Latin is Salix nigra, nigra being Latin for black. But naming conventions aren't always so black and white. For instance, we have the weeping willow, so named for its droopy branches looking like long tears. But the scientific name for that tree is Salix babylonica, babylonica meaning of Babylon. Babylon was that ancient civilization that existed in biblical times where we now know as the Middle East. There's just one problem. The weeping willow is native to China, not Babylon. The name was given by Carl Linnaeus, the Swedish naturalist who sired most of the scientific naming conventions that we use in taxonomy today. His confusion came from a poorly translated passage in the Bible, 
One chapter spoke of certain trees growing between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers that one translation referred to as the Weeping Willow. But historically, weeping willows weren't introduced in that area until they were traded down the Silk Road hundreds of years after Babylon was dissolved, and the text was likely referring to some Middle Eastern poplar. And apparently, we're just stuck with the name now. But like how the Silk Road has physically connected the Western and Eastern world, the very willow trees that were traded along it have also connected these different cultures because of the symbolism they carry. Let's start with Celtic lore, since we are so attached to that OM calendar. Oftentimes, these OM trees will be linked to a few consistent concepts. They'll represent a specific gender, a specific element, and specific cosmic bodies. Usually, I ignore these because I find them minor and mostly irrelevant details, but all of these associations with the willow are really nicely connected. With gender, the willow is strongly linked to femininity because of their grace and flexibility. With the elements, they are associated with water due to their typical habitat and fluid growth form. With cosmic bodies, we see the willow closely tied to the moon, which in turn is often connected to water and femininity. Across different cultures, we see the moon often represented by female deities. The Greek Artemis and her Roman counterpart Diana are moon goddesses. The Greek Selene and Roman Luna are the personifications of the moon itself. And in Chinese lore, there is an immortal who lives on the moon named Chang'e. There's also the Greek goddess Hecate, who is also loosely connected to the moon, but we still see her very strongly tied to the willow because her primary ruling domain is magic or witchcraft. This brings us back to Celtic symbolism. The Oum trees always have some sort of magical properties, but the willow seems to just manifest magic in general. It's referred to as the Tree of Enchantment, and is considered a powerful source of magic because it's so closely tied to the moon and so draws its power directly from it. Magic aside though, the willow has been an important tree throughout the history of the British Isles. Even in the modern day, the primary wood for cricket bats comes from the white willow tree, which I find interesting because the primary wood for baseball bats in America is white ash, and ash is another powerful oum tree. But one of the original uses for the willow was basketry. I, for whatever reason, usually associate basket weaving with Native American and First Nation tribes, but it is an art form that every culture practices. From the British, we get wicker baskets, and really any wicker furniture. The word wicker originally referred to willow branches specifically, as they were the most flexible wood to weave with. Nowadays, it is a more general term applied to any flexible wood used for weaving. Some believe that the word wicker is where we get the term witchcraft. Witchcraft, we know, is derived from the earlier term wicca, which has seen a new rise in cultural popularity since the 90s thanks to an increase of paranormal and occult media like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Some would suggest that the early word wicca was inspired by the word wicker, seeing as willow branches were so commonly thought of as strong mechanisms for channeling magic. Wicker, Wicca, and witchcraft today are often viewed in a negative light, things that are associated with savagery and demons. In the modern day, this is readily perpetuated through Christianity, but the demonization of Celtic faith actually predates Christianity. We first see it coming from Julius Caesar during the Gallic Wars, when Rome was conquering much of Western Europe. 
This is slightly before Rome invaded the British Isles, but it was at this time that we first see mention of the Celtic faith by an outside culture, and Caesar refers to these religious druids as savages who perform human sacrifices by burning them alive in a giant wicker man. Much of how we view Celtic faith today stems from his writings, which historians are now questioning if Caesar exaggerated his descriptions in order to dehumanize and vilify this culture as an excuse to invade and conquer them. Which makes sense to me, but we honestly do not know. Whether or not human sacrifices actually happen, though, the willow still has its own connection to death, particularly in the form of grief and processing separation. In the obvious physical comparison, the hanging boughs of the weeping willow make it look like the tree is crying, and they put it right there in the name, Weeping Willow, and various East Asian cultures have quite a bit to say about this. There's a village in Japan where, a thousand years ago, a massive willow tree stood. This willow tree was an iconic feature in the lives of the villagers who lived there. Children would play among the droopy boughs, workers would sit in its shade at the end of hot summer days, lovers would meet in this place of secrecy to confess their feelings to one another. But one day the village decided they needed to construct a new bridge, and the massive willow was an easy source of wood. One of the villagers, a young man named Hitaro, lived near the willow and could not stand the thought of it being cut down. So he stood in front of it and made an impassioned speech about the intrinsic value of this tree, and offered up any tree on his own land to have the bridge built instead. The villagers agreed with what he had to say, and so they changed their minds and took his wood instead, saving the willow. A few weeks later, Hitaro was coming home from work and decided to visit the willow tree he loved so much. And to his surprise, he found a beautiful woman standing under the tree who he had never seen in the village before. He approached her, and they had a long conversation about how wonderful the willow tree was, all the way until the sun began to set. Coincidentally, this is also how I flirt with women. But when Hitaro went home, he couldn't sleep, he just kept thinking about that girl. He decided he loved her, and that if he saw her again, he would tell her so. The next day after work, Hitaro stopped by the willow again and once again found the woman standing there. He confessed his love to her, and she accepted it. They saw each other for some time, meeting and spending time under the willow, until he asked her to marry him. She agreed on the condition that he never ask about her personal history or background. She claimed she had no family, or even a name. Hitaru didn't care. He agreed and named her Higo, and they got married, and they had a son named Chiodo. Hitaru had a happy family thanks to this willow tree. But unfortunately, this story does not end with happily ever after. Five years later, the emperor ordered the construction of a grand temple nearby to this village, and he needed wood to make it happen. Once again, the willow was slated to be cut down, and Hitaro, once again, stood in its defense. But the villagers wouldn't listen to him this time. They thought having this piece of their personal culture contribute to the construction of that temple was a noble thing to do that would bring them good luck. A few days later, in the middle of the night, Hitaro woke up to the sounds of axes chopping wood and knew the willow was being cut down. He was depressed, but he knew he had lost that battle and went to go back to sleep. But his wife, Higo, was horrifically sobbing, and Hitaro couldn't calm her down. Higo decided now was finally the time to explain her past. You see, Higo was actually the spirit of that willow tree and had fallen in love with Hitaro when he so valiantly defended her life. But now that the willow was being chopped down, she was dying. She smiled through tears as she said goodbye, and told Hitaro to take good care of their son. 
And with that, the spirit fled back to the tree and died as it fell. Hitaro woke Chiodo and took him to the fallen tree to explain what had happened to his mother. And what they found was the workers could not move the pieces of wood to the river to send downstream. Hitaro explained the whole spirit thing to the workers and asked if the five-year-old boy could help. And to their surprise, Chiodo's small hands were able to effortlessly move the wood and send it downstream to the temple. There's a lot to unpack in that story. What I really like is the message it sends about grief and loss. Ultimately, it was Chiodo who had to send off his mother's body, because you can't overcome grief without acceptance. No one can say goodbye for you. The connection tying the willow to separation is also seen in Chinese culture. The Chinese word for willow is a homophone, meaning same pronunciation for different words, with the Chinese character liu, which means to stay in the context of bidding farewell. There is this practice of breaking off a willow bough and giving it to someone who is departing for a long journey. It's sort of like saying, I wish you didn't have to go, or I miss you already. This theme of separation is present in Chinese feng shui as well. Feng shui is the Chinese art or metaphysical science of creating a harmonic energy in one's living space. You know, like having windows facing a certain direction, or placing furniture in this specific section of a room. Living plants are usually an A-plus move in feng shui, but the willow representing sadness and loneliness means you need to take great care in incorporating it. A good example of using willow is to have one in your outdoor space that's not too close to your living space. You want to at least have it be accessible, though, so that when you need to grieve, you can go to it and have that space to express your emotions. A really specific example of what not to do is have a painting of someone sitting under a willow, especially in the bedroom. Doing so will ensure that you will be alone forever, particularly in the romance department. And if you aren't alone, and you do something like that, well, get ready to say goodbye. Something else I find interesting is that while you can have two cultures sharing symbolism for a tree, you can also find cultures that have given it completely opposite symbolism. While we see the willow associated with death in East Asia, we see it representing life in Jewish faith. There is a holiday that takes place in the fall known as Sukkot, which focuses on living in temporary dwellings for a week as a way of commemorating the 40 years that the children of Israel spent wandering in the wilderness. The ceremonies involve using what are called the four species. These are different from the seven species that I mentioned in my pomegranate episode where I talk about the Jewish holiday Tubishvat. These four species are myrtle, willow, date palm, and maybe citron. That seems to be widely accepted, but also sometimes questioned by historians. I may go into more detail on citron and Sukkot come fall, but for now, the symbolism of the four species, including willow, seems to be tied to fertility as it takes place around the harvest. Scriptures don't confirm this, but it seems to be a fairly well-accepted claim. The willow's life symbolism also seems to carry over to Christianity. I've mentioned how evergreens symbolize eternal life, and this is why we see palm leaves commonly integrated in the story of Jesus' resurrection around Easter. But what about those places that celebrate Easter that are too far north to have date palms? In regions like Eastern Europe who want to hold on to that symbolism but simply can't, the willow has historically been substituted for the palm in those traditions. These themes of fertility and life now bring us back to the Celtic tradition. 
The Willow Moon is a spring month. It's right after the vernal equinox and is thus associated with rebirth. It makes sense that the willow is chosen to represent this time of year with how it is so fast growing near water and how easily it resprouts from cuttings. For real, you can cut off a willow branch, stick it in some soil, and as long as you keep it moist, boom, new tree. These themes will keep chasing each other in circles around the world. The willow is a great way to look at our similarities across cultures. Oftentimes we focus too much on what makes us different. What gods we worship or don't worship, what language we speak, what side of the road we drive on. But there's always similarities. Universal themes of life and death and femininity, and no matter where you go in the world, humanity experiences them. Willows are terrific trees, full of really important symbolism. They teach us the importance of expressing grief, which is often suppressed in various cultures, especially in masculine settings. Rather than take inspiration from the willow, I want you to find comfort in it. Every day there are people experiencing grief. Maybe it's fresh and raw. Maybe it's so old that you barely feel it anymore, like the shirt you put on in the morning. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's someone you know. If it is you, find a willow to sit with and express that grief to. If it's someone you know, be that willow for them to sit with. We're all in this together. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love. Give it a hug. <laughs>